The Future of Transport, Part 2. This is Wheel Life. Legal reflections on vulnerable road users. The podcast where two experienced lawyers, who also happen to be enthusiastic cyclists, chat their way through topics concerning cyclists and other vulnerable road users from a legal and insurance perspective. Hello, I'm Emily Formby of 39 Essex Chambers. And I'm Caroline Hall of DAC Beechcroft Solicitors. And this episode, we're catching up with my colleague, Pete Olshorn, to talk all things future transport, in particular, automated vehicles and e-scooters. So, hi, how are you doing, Pete? Yeah, good, thank you. Um, Notwithstanding the fact that it feels like I've not left my little home office for uh, much of 2021. But very good, thank you. I was just about to ask you, how has uh, 2021 treated you since we spoke to you back in January? Yeah, as I say, I've not really been anywhere, but I mean, there have been some... um, some developments, some interesting ones in the uh, long-anticipated development of of AVs, automated vehicles, um, and of course, e-scooters, which I know is a subject close to your heart, Caroline. I don't know about close to my heart, but I can bore people to death about them quite a lot at the moment. We know she likes to insert an e-scooter into every conversation, but um, so you've sort of been around the world and back without leaving your own front room. There must be a song in there somewhere, Pete. Yeah, there must be, mustn't there? But it's very (laughs) nice to have you back with us. So Thank you for having me. So, Pete, since we last spoke, what are the developments in terms of automated vehicles in particular? What are the government doing about them? So, yeah, I mean, we last spoke to you guys um, early in 2021. And I suppose the most notable activity since then is in the um, area of automated lane keeping systems, or commonly known as ALKS. Um and I suppose the point here is that we really, um, or the industry as a whole, really warned the government um, that it had some real concerns um, in relation to um, uh, in relation to automated lane keeping systems. And I'll come on to those just in a moment. But there was a call for evidence last year um, in in which um, the safety considerations and concerns in relation to alts were were aired. And putting it quite bluntly, the government came back. Um, earlier this year saying that it still has every intention of introducing automated lane keeping systems as a first use case for automated driving. So just to be clear in terms of what ALKS is, um, we're talking here about low speed motorway driving. Um, So speeds of up to 37 miles per hour on UK motorways, the vehicle being able to control what is known as the dynamic driving task, essentially to allow um, the human driver to take their feet and their hands off of the controls for a period of time. 37 miles an hour on a motorway seems quite slow. Yes. So as I say, you know, we can debate all day in terms of the relevance in practical terms of what is quite frankly a very narrow use case. So for all intents and purposes, they're talking here about a motorway traffic jam or traffic wave assist system where you've got waves of traffic on a motorway and perhaps the traffic is moving particularly slowly, i.e. less than 37 miles per hour for a period of time. I think the, the the issue we have and one of the safety challenges is that we all know that traffic waves on a motorway um, you know, don't necessarily last last that long and you know and, and the traffic can speed up and slow back down again. And when it does speed up, the chances are it may speed up above 37 miles per hour, in which case um, this system wouldn't be operative. Um, and 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 the challenge really um, around Alks um, is that we're still, you know, it 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 combines what are a combination of what's known as assisted driving systems or 
ADAS, which is Ad- uh, Advanced Driver Assistance System. So these are things like autonomous emergency braking, um, lane keeping um, assistance systems to keep a vehicle within within a particular traffic lane. Um, and of course, adaptive cruise control that's been on the market for some considerable time now. Um, but these have always been treated as assisted driving systems whereby the human can't come out of the loop because quite frankly, they are just that. And if you look at a Tesla, again, we can come on to consumer acceptance and understanding of things. But a lot of people think a Tesla is a self-driving car. In its current guise, it's not. You know, It is a fairly sophisticated, in, in, in a lot of instances, um, vehicle with driver assistance um, systems on it. So the challenge with with the fundamental challenge with Alx is that it has limitations. So it has systems that aren't infallible, which currently sit at um, what's known as level two, or I'd say at best level two point five, on what is a um, uh, what is a a scale of automation from not being a completely conventional vehicle with no with no form of driver systems on it at all to level five, which is a fully um, functioning automated vehicle, um, if you like, the driverless taxi of the future with no controls. So level two really is the last level of driver assistance before you get into an area of level three, which is called conditional automation. And this is where the government wants to regulate these vehicles. And at level three, the driver is in essence allowed to come out of the loop, but um, very much with a view to jumping back into the dynamic driving task when the system reaches its limitations. We say that is fundamentally unsafe and that in order for a vehicle to be regulated um, and listed as an automated vehicle, it needs to be able to bring itself um, when it reaches its system's limitations or a driver doesn't re-engage to a safe and controlled halt and preferably outside of a live um, vehicle um, traffic lane because as you can see using the example we've just discussed in relation to motorways if the vehicle can't come out of lane and it reaches its system's limitation or the traffic is is exceeding above 37 miles per hour and the human doesn't re-engage the vehicle will simply stop in a live lane of traffic on a motorway which we say is fundamentally unsafe so my kind of vision of an automated vehicle is a bit like Blade Runner. You know, you kind of get in on probably the 6,000th floor of your kind of skyscape and say, take me to wherever, and off you go, whizzing upwards, downwards, and in and out of traffic. And we're quite a long way from that. Um, So the problem inherently, it seems to me, of what you're talking about, the car takes over, so to speak, to keep you at or below 37 miles an hour, but it's getting into that process and getting out of that process. So if, as you say, the um, car in front of me stops or the traffic builds up, presumably the automated vehicle will also stop. But if it speeds up and you get to 38 miles an hour, what happens then? So at, at that point, the the car will it will invite the driver to take back control and there will be but a kind transition of how persistently period. like you know i wouldn't mind if you took back control now that'd be mm. great or help yeah. help take so, control you know it's a sort so of- so yeah i mean it, it's i mean all of these things are are being discussed and debated at the moment emily as you'd appreciate no but, sure you know but 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 you're absolutely right there needs to be um there needs to be 
you know, visual warnings, there needs to be audio warnings, and there needs to be kind of haptic warnings as well. So, you know, vibrating steering wheels, whatever it might be, in order to encourage a driver to re-engage. The, the challenge is that we know, and that various studies have been done that suggest that, you know, a di- different human beings will take different amounts of time to re-engage in the, in the driving task, particularly if they've, you know, in disengaging, have then taken up a different activity, whatever that might be, reading a social media post or on an infotainment screen or, or whatever it might be. The, the point of the matter is once someone is disengaged and focused on something else, when they're suddenly required to take back control um, during that 10 second period, whatever it might be, um, where all of these these um, signs and warnings are taking place, you know, will everyone, you know, will, is that long enough and is that good enough for everyone to, to, to be able to take back control? And we know that not everyone will do. And therefore, the system will simply say, well, you've not taken back control. So all I can do now is assume you're not going to, and I will therefore um, carry out what's known as a minimum risk maneuver, which in the context of automated lane keeping systems is just to, 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 to bring the vehicle to a controlled halt within the live traffic lane because the the UNEC regulation that governs um, automated lane keeping systems does not prescribe and does not allow a vehicle to make lateral movements out of lane. So in a way we um I mean we all know from the other end of the perspective from the injuries, we all know how much damage can be done in a collision at thirty seven miles an hour. I mean that's a significant amount of harm can be um, can happen. So the kind of idea that the vehicle will just come to a halt and then presumably all the other vehicles will either stop immediately or hit the back of you. And we also know from accidents how perception time between people vary so radically. I mean, you have the tables on the age-old tables that we refer to. Um, but but um, as you say, depending on um, reaction, time, weather, date, everything, all the environment, um, people are, mu- are not always very good so it's quite quite a it's quite a task isn't it i suppose sorry Sorry, i was also just going to add in emily's um blade runner analogy there um everyone else is in self uh, is in automated vehicles so the all the automated vehicles are acting in the same way but from what we're saying um you're going to have a few people with automated vehicles and most people driving driving normal cars and reacting normally so everyone's on different playing fields as well surely yeah and and that's absolutely right and and let's not forget um that you know we are an awful long way from a driverless car utopia um where everyone you know doesn't need to worry because you know we're you know, essentially these computers on wheels are all talking to each other um that's and so far removed at the moment you're absolutely right whilst the um the whatever iteration of of, of automated vehicle it is is using the road you know, and the vast, vast majority of other road users are in conventional vehicles. You've got um, a situation whereby human drivers are trying to anticipate what a computer algorithm in a in a driverless car is is doing, um, and and vice versa. And that in itself is is a challenge because let's let's remember that you know a, a, an automated vehicle is 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 in essence running a computer running algorithms um, and won't necessarily react in the way that a human driver might react, particularly in a a situation where a hazard suddenly appears. 
And that's assuming uh, that the um, the sensors and the cameras and the LiDAR system, whatever is operative on the vehicle, can actually perceive and see the hazard in the first place, which is another um, uh, pot- potential challenge. Because let's be clear that, as I mentioned before, the technology isn't yet infallible. Um, and uh, And actually being able to see things um, and perceive hazards is also a challenge. So just going back to the example that we're talking about here of low-speed motorways, let's say there's a collision on a motorway um, and traffic stops and um, and people get out of a vehicle um, and are therefore in a live traffic lane. Um, unless the pedestrian is in the centre of a lane, there is a chance that, um, that the sensors on the automated vehicle, the vehicle with automated lane keeping system um, on it, will not see that that hazard and therefore may continue um, proceeding towards it potentially at a speed of up to 37 miles per hour. And presumably they can't move out of the lane. They can't. No, that's right, Emily. They cannot move out of the lane because, the um, as I say, this is all governed by a UNECE regulation and that regulation currently, I emphasise currently, stipulates that yeah. lateral movements out of lane are not allowed yeah. because different um, manufacturers are in different places in terms of um, the, 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 you know, the degree of, um, of development in relation to these particular systems. And so to what extent um, does the driver have the ability, like in a cruise control, you can say, drive me at 37 miles an hour or whatever it is, but at any moment... Um, wittingly or unwittingly, you can override the cruise. Um, to what extent does that operate, or is it anticipated that that will operate with automated vehicles? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, and I think for the purpose of automated lane keeping systems, the the suggestion is that the driver, in using that use case of of low speed motorway driving, where you could have traffic waves suddenly, you know, and and the speed of the traffic suddenly increasing, it being important that the the human can override very very quickly. But when you um, that that's and, and 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 that's fine here and now and in relation to this use case. But when you move into more sophisticated or um, what I'd call proper automated um, driving systems, so what's called level four. And ultimately, level five is described, you know, potentially without 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 any controls. Obviously, you wouldn't be able to do that anyway. But level four, um, you've then got the question, you know, to what extent? You know, that the whole ha- handover back to human is really, really important and needs to be controlled properly. And there is a danger then that if the human suddenly takes control and yanks the steering wheel because it thinks the vehicle is doing something errant but in actual fact it's you know the algorithm is programmed to do that do you sort of mean there could be a a situation whereby a sort of miscommunication between human and vehicle uh, or computer um, results in a more challenging and dangerous situation yeah and presumably a a sort of standoff between driver and machine and somebody's got to decide at which at, at a certain stage which of those will win? So do you have the human who may make a stupid decision but always overrides the machine? Or do you have the algorithm at a certain stage saying, I'm cleverer than you because I'm analysing data, I'm not panicking, Mm -hmm. uh, and therefore refusing to cede control? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And and these are, frankly, decisions that are yet to be made but need to be um, but there needs to be some very clear rules and guidance around um, safe and effective um, transfers and, and handovers between 
between human and, and, and machine. So when Elon Musk says he grew up reading sci-fi, um, it wasn't such a, a crazy plan. I mean, I, presumably, I don't know, are you an aficionado of Philip K. Dick? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> well, so he's, he's a science fiction writer in the 1950s, so long, long, long time ago. But he wrote yeah. Blade Runner, although it wasn't called Blade Runner. Um, he wrote a lot of those stories. Um, but he wrote many, many short prophetic stories. But the one mm. that I think is the most amazing is he writes, uh, and this is, you know, in the 50s, so most people don't even have a fridge. He says the um, challenge to the world is not going to come from aliens from outer space. It's going to come from the fact that one day your toaster will turn around and say no. (laughs) I like that. And, oh my goodness me, you know, it's, it's, so, you know, could your car decide that you've been on the road for four hours so you need a break and it forcibly takes you off onto a, um, you know, uh, what you call it? Petrol station. Service station. Service station, that's the word. Uh, And then it says, well, I know you like this kind of coffee. So I'm going to drive until we get to the uh, franchise that has your coffee. Um, and then I'm going to forcibly take you there and order you a perhaps double espresso if it was me or something else um, and make you turn off for half an hour because you need to have a rest. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think, I think that's, that's exactly where uh, the, the, pardon the pun, the direction of travel, um, as, as you say, we're not there yet. Um, but bearing in mind that, and, and I keep emphasizing automated vehicles, you know, don't think of them as cars, think of them as computers on wheels. That's exactly what they are. Um, and, you know, they are pro- will be processing a huge, huge amount of data on an ongoing basis. So absolutely those use cases and personalizing um, those use cases to the, to, the, to the human driver or user in charge, for, uh, as, as we refer to them when the, 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 the vehicle's in control, um, is, is absolutely not science fiction, but something which will inevitably um, inevitably um, uh, arrive in the fullness of time. What's the direction of travel, using your pun again, um, in terms of the government and the timeline that we're looking at? Um, because at the beginning of the year, they were trying to push things forward. But from a brief conversation we had, they seem to be slowing things down again. Yeah. So, I mean, let's let's not forget that five years ago, um, we were supposed to have what, you know, level four automated driving, i.e., um, you know, proper automated driving in a variety of of um of driving circumstances and road conditions by 2021 we've not got that um as as you say we've not even got to level three and in actual fact um notwithstanding you know the government is you know still really looking for alps to be this first use case um but the dft's center for connected and autonomous vehicles ccav um has actually in recent months announced a um, a project that it is funding um, and which is being run by Thatch and Research um, and Zenzik, which is the um, which is the organisation set up if you like to advance um, the deployment of automated vehicles on on UK roads. But Thatch and Zenzik working together with a range of international experts on what will be an independent consumer rating system for for um, automated driving systems, so the computer that controls the automated driving. Um, and we think that this is going to put um, a bit of a, the brakes, sorry, another pun, on um, on ALKS being deployed um, on, on UK roads. So this really is a realise that, well, I think finally listening to um, to stakeholders within the industry saying you've got to put safety first because without safety first, one, you will 
impact and destroy consumer confidence that is probably potentially still low anyway. And that will push back whole scale, uh, wholesale rather, mass deployment of these technologies by years and years. But also, um, let's not forget the insurers in all of this. Um, if you're not careful, you're not going to have something that is insurable. Um, so I think the government is is now alive to that. There's a realisation that not all ADS, um, automated driving systems, will be created equal. So therefore, um, a consumer rating system, so something, think of it really akin to your sort of Euro NCAP testing, but for the computer within the vehicle rather than the um, rather than the rest of the vehicle. Um, that's essentially what Thatcham and Zenzik are working on just at the moment. They're working on a proof of concept that's going to deliver hopefully by March of 2022. Um, and we'll see what that yields. But certainly the intention is that whilst they're looking at automated lane keeping systems um, as the first uh, the first kind of use case in terms of this consumer rating system. The intention is very much to deploy that much more widely in relation to um, automated vehicles more generally. And ultimately, as I say, I mentioned Euro NCAP, um, in the fullness of time, it could potentially feed into that star rating system. So to what extent, um, if I could put it neutrally, the mixed blessings of smart motorways, so the kind of use of technology to control lanes albeit not of the vehicles, um, and the slightly uh, bumpy rollout that that has had. Um, is that feeding into the thinking about ALKS, or is that a completely separate um, uh, concept? A really interesting question, Emily. I'm not aware that, um, there, that there's necessarily a huge, a huge dotted line between the two. And I suppose the question that rises here, and we see this in terms of, you know, the, the current conversations around zero emission vehicles as well as automated vehicles, um, is, is actually getting, you know, I suppose different government departments to actually talk to each other and coordinate their approach in relation to these things because you're absolutely right smart motorways have had a bumpy ride again sorry another pun um, no i it, thought it, like bumpy road maybe i shouldn't say road. that they're, 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 <laughs> it's impossible to get away from them isn't it <laughs> yeah. um and and obviously there is you know already a commitment to um to to, to do away with the um uh, the uh, where where hard shoulders i forget yeah. the, the, how they uh, phrase them now but where hard shoulders are open some of the time and not open um, other aspects of the time. But of course, there's still the fundamental challenge with smart motorways of stranded vehicles. Um, you know, when when something breaks down in a live traffic lane, which I suppose is is the same principle as we've just discussed in relation to AUX vehicles, may not have broken down, but maybe um, have, have, as I say, reached their systems limitations. Someone hasn't re-engaged. So it says, do you know what? I'm just going to stop. But I think what's so interesting about the smart motorway is... Well, two things. Firstly, the technology has to be absolutely spot on. And um, we know that some problems have arisen because either the technology has failed or um, human interaction with the technology has failed. But secondly, yeah. how difficult it is for consumers to change their behaviour. So um, that idea that you get a red cross in the lane or you get warnings about the smart lanes and people just don't fully absorb what that might mean to them yeah um it, it, you know as they as they drive along the road um because they're so used to a different system now that that would seem to me just that proposition as something that would be incredibly um 
uh, prescient for Alks because, of course, we're used to cars being driven by people. And however much we might think we aren't, that's going to be a huge behavioural change, both for the drivers and those around them. Yeah, no, I I think that's a point really well made, um, Emily. And it goes to um, this whole issue around the you know development of of future mobility generally it certainly is relevant to micromobility and e-scooters as well which is you know th- there's there's almost um an assumption made that that everyone understands um you know the the, the rules of the road and i suppose you know um certainly caroline could talk meaningfully around the um the, the the highway code consultation that she and I worked on together in relation to our firm's response. Um, you know, this is looking at um, you know, changes to the highway code and a hierarchy um of road users, again very relevant to um protecting vulnerable road users as technology changes. But the point being that there's an assumption that you change the highway code and that's fine, everyone will understand, but most people don't read the highway code. Um, particularly vulnerable road users, pedestrians and cyclists probably don't read it. So therefore, you need much more of a sustained um, campaign, education campaign. And I think that there are lots of stakeholders who need to take responsibility for this. Um, certainly the government, certainly vehicle manufacturers, potentially insurers too, um, who have a, a vested interest um in in the development of these and rollout of, of these different technologies but making an assault you know it's really really important to i think to assume that a lot of consumers don't necessarily understand and if they don't understand these things there's a real danger that sort of chinese whispers and third-hand information will give them will will, will leave them misinformed and that's a dangerous place to be um, and we see it already with your Teslas, as an example I used earlier, whereby I'm sure if you polled a lot of people and asked them, you know, are there um, are there self-driving vehicles on the road? A lot of people say, yes, there are. There are Teslas. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's a huge education piece across um automotive vehicles but also as we were saying e-scooters and the upcoming changes in the highway code Um, but change people can get used to changing people can learn we just have to look at the fact that we all grew up without um, seat belts and backs of cars um, whereas nobody would ever think to sell a car or get in a car without putting a seat belt on now so things do change but it's going to take time and I think the point coming out of the automated vehicles point that you've just um, discussed going across to the e-scooters is the safety point and it's the we can introduce all of these wonderful new things and they can be great but they've got to be safe and they've got to be safe for all people using them the people driving them or riding them and then the people around who are going to interact with them yeah and I mean I suppose there's also I think what is also really interesting is is the sort of moral side so to speak or the kind of extent to which we want the automation to operate so i think we can all agree that uh, particularly when you've got a hazard on the motorway having a car that will stay at a steady rate and uh, manage traffic flow and we know that lower speeds will ease out flow and will make the roads run better etc cetera, etc cetera, that's um uh 
not difficult to consider. And we know, for example, with black boxes that will prevent a car driving if there are too many people in it or, you know, when you have young drivers, you can control how they operate. And, and again, I don't think many people would have a problem with that as a concept. But, you know, I slightly facetiously said, then you get to stage when your car takes you off the road and makes you have a cup of coffee, whether you want it or not. Um, or, you know, you get to the kind of extremes of technology use that we see, um, you know, for example, there's reports in China of people not being able to get into their buildings if they haven't um, uh, complied with certain state requirements, they can't go home. And, and you know, how, how we give over that control or, or whether there are limits on that control, is that part of the conversation or is it really all about the technical ability at the moment? It's mainly about the technical ability at the moment. I mean, there was certainly, um, so I may have met, I think I probably mentioned last time we spoke about the um, Law Commission's three-year review, which in, in fact is due to um, um, to, to issue its its final findings and report to Parliament. It was due by the end of this year. It's now going to be uh, January 2022, as we understand it. But in its first preliminary paper, looking at vehicle automation, um, th- there was a section looking at um, looking at ethics uh, towards the end of the paper. But it was very much um, uh, very much a, this is something which is. You know, that needs to be looked at, but is is really not not particularly within our terms of reference. So, to answer your question, um, Emily, no, it's not, but it's something which um, again needs to be nailed down from a policy perspective. Um, before these things really take off. Well, I wonder if in the light of the sort of social media storm we're currently having um, uh, and the debate around uh, the the kind of use of, of, of social media, whether that ethics chapter will come higher up the timetable by the next iteration of the uh, documentation. I, th- I think it's inevitable that it will um, because the closer to actual... Um, meaningful um, sort of regulation of deployment, um, the, you know, that, that can't remain, you know, an elephant in the room. Looking at the time, I see we've spoken for absolutely ages and we haven't got onto e-scooters at all. Caroline, I'm wondering if we should make it a, se- a separate chat to be had at a later date. Yeah, no, that's absolutely fine. Um, just to update in terms of the timetable, it kind of ties in with a lot of the dates that Pete was just talking yeah. about, because the government trials are um, extended through into next year, di- varying different dates depending on the area. But the government are bringing an end to the consultation and looking at all of the data at the end of March 2022. And it's whether or not legislation then follows straight away, whether or not they started writing it already. Um, in the Republic of Ireland, they're looking to have legislation done by Christmas. Um, but having spoken with my colleague David in the Dublin office yesterday, I just had a wry smile and a chuckle from him. So I think that's probably going to be into the start of next year. Um, <laughs> so it might be that we get David on and we can talk about Ireland and we can talk about England and we can look at the, the different approaches because we're very much, let's do lots of trials and see what the data is. And Ireland are, yeah, let's do legislation first and then do a few trials. So it really is chicken and egg and we're doing it very, very differently. Oh, I'd love to have a chat about e-scooters, but um, I think we might have to save it for another occasion because Pete's been so fascinating. Um, I mean, I could carry on chatting about this for hours, actually. So, I mean, what do you think is the big takeaway that we should have in our heads at the moment, Pete, about Elks? So, I think the big takeaway with Elks is don't expect um, Elks vehicles to be deployed on roads anytime soon. Um, 
speaking to people in the industry, um, we don't think that there's any manufacturer who is looking to deploy um, an out vehicle um, before sort of mid to late 2022 um, in the UK. But of course, that 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 could could change. Um, it's it's a watch this space in terms of um, the piece that Thatcham and Zenzik are currently working on. Really interesting piece, and you know we've always advocated um, within our firm and the work that we've done in relation to following this story, if you like, in, in the, the the incremental development of of vehicle automation is to say, look, safety first. Safety has to come first. The government at the moment, um, and there is, so I haven't mentioned, final thing to mention really is that there's a current, um, an outstanding consultation that closes later this month on the 22nd of November. Um, as part of the, um, as part of the um, Future of Transport Regulatory Review, and there are a number of papers, one of which focuses on, focuses on modernising vehicle standards, very much around how best to regulate new types of technology, particularly um, automated vehicles. And again, we've got this kind of dichotomy situation whereby the government doesn't want to stifle innovation, but there's a real kind of paradox here, we think, because um, you know it's, it's talking within this latest document around, okay, how do we make it easy and quick to for the market to test new models and things and as i say the point i want to kind of finish on really is that that quick deployment doesn't necessarily equal safe deployment and if you don't have safe deployment of these things you're going to have a media storm you're going to have a lack of consumer confidence and you're going to have insurers saying we don't want to insure these things so you know it's it has to be done in the right way it's great as caroline's just said that in the context of e-scooters, um, there seems to be much more of an appetite to gather the data first and then decide how things should be um, regulated and and deployed. Um, and it's it's really important now that that follows suit for um, for for automated vehicles. So we'll wait and see what um, what that yields. But as I say, um, the Law Commission of England and Wales and the Scottish Law Commission will produce a final report. Um, to Parliament in relation to prospective changes to civil and criminal laws vis-a-vis automated driving. So expect that in January of next year. And very happy to uh, come and talk to you about that when it lands. Oh, that's exciting. So we can come to you back to chat again and we can have Carolina do a whole e-scooter chat. There's just endless episodes to come. What joy. (laughs) Thank you so much, Pete. It's been really, really interesting chatting to you. You're very welcome. It's been nice to speak to you again. Thanks, Pete. Bye. Thanks for listening. Wheel Life is brought to you by international law firm DAC Beechcraft and Barrister's Chambers, 39 Essex Chambers. Discover more articles, podcasts and webinars over at dacbeechcraft.com and 39essex.com.